This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia's foreign ministry claimed traffic had resumed on the only bridge linking the occupied Crimean Peninsula to Russia, hours after it was hit by an explosion. The bridge is a crucial supply line for Russian forces in southern Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia appointed Sergei Surovikin, a general with a reputation for ruthlessness, as its battlefield commander in Ukraine. Allegations of corruption and brutality have followed him throughout his career in Russia's army, noted British intelligence in a recent report. At least 12 people were killed and 49 hospitalised as a result of a shelling attack in Zaporizhia, according to Ukrainian officials. The city in southeast Ukraine, which is around 52 kilometres from a Russian-held nuclear power plant, was hit by 12 Russian missiles overnight, said Alexander Staruk, the governor of the region. Deutsche Bahn, Germany's state rail company, said that sabotage had caused disruption of the rail network in the north of the country. The company declined to speculate about who was behind the attack. German authorities are investigating. In September, saboteurs, suspected by many to have been Russian, struck underwater in the Baltic Sea, damaging the Nord Stream gas pipelines. North Korea fired two short-range ballistic missiles early on Sunday, the latest in a spate of similar provocations in recent days, according to Japanese authorities. Both travelled about 350 kilometres and fell outside Japan's exclusive economic zone. On Tuesday, North Korea fired a missile over Japan, which it had not done since 2017. Iran's state-run broadcaster appeared to be hacked on Saturday when a news bulletin was interrupted by a protest against the country's supreme leader. The live broadcast was replaced with an image of Ayatollah Ali Khamenei surrounded in flames and captions urging Iranians to rise up. Despite a violent crackdown, protesters continue to rally across the country over the death of a 22-year-old woman, Masa Amini, in police custody in September. Rivian Automotive said it would recall nearly all of its vehicles out of concern that a manufacturing defect could force drivers to lose steering control. The recall covers about 13,000 vehicles. No injuries connected to the defect have been reported. The electric vehicle startup has encountered numerous production issues since going public last year. Ten people, including two teenagers, were killed in an explosion at a petrol station in Donegal, a county in Ireland. Police are still investigating the incident, but said the evidence gathered so far suggests it was a tragic accident. Michal Martin, the country's prime minister, called the explosion an enormous trauma. And word of the week. Masuku Bijin. A Japanese phrase to describe someone who looks beautiful in a face mask. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Uganda's Fickle Father and Son Act. Expect some awkwardness in Kampala on Sunday as Uganda's president, Yoweri Museveni, hosts his Kenyan counterpart, William Ruto, 
for the 60th anniversary of Ugandan independence. Just days ago, Mr. Museveni issued a public apology after his son, Mohozi Karneri Ugaba, joked on Twitter about invading Kenya. In other tweets, General Kaineri Ugaba reiterated his support for Russia's warmongering president, Vladimir Putin, and offered a hundred cows to woo Italy's new prime minister. His outbursts hint at a deeper frustration. Mr. Museveni, in power since 1986, is preparing to run again in 2026. But General Kaineri Ugaba apparently wants the top job himself. He has complained that the next election will mark, quote, 40 years of the old people in charge. On Tuesday, Mr. Museveni stripped him of his army command, cushioning the blow by promoting him to a higher titular rank. The relationship between overbearing father and stroppy son could one day do even greater damage to Uganda's politics. Scandal splits the chess world. The chess world champion, Magnus Carlsen, refuses to play another, ostensibly, top player, Hans Moke Niemann. Though Mr. Carlsen won't say so directly, perhaps for legal reasons, the suspicion is that Mr. Niemann uses hidden computers to help him win. Does he? Mr. Niemann has said that he once cheated as a 12-year-old in an online tournament, and then in some, quote, random games, when aged 16 but he has denied ever doing so in tournament games or in front of an audience. On October 4th, Chess.com, a website where most of the world's top players play, published allegations that, in its view, he had cheated much more than he had let on. Chess.com has disinvited him from a $1 million tournament. Yet in offline games, in which Mr. Neiman continues to deny all claims of cheating, he plays on. After his recent victory in the first round of the U.S. Chess Championships, he said, Chess speaks for itself. Gene editing for a better beer. Beer brewing typifies the transformative effect of the Industrial Revolution. What had existed for millennia as an artisanal pursuit is today dominated by giant conglomerates and towering steel cylinders, but mass production doesn't mean a better taste. Carbon dioxide buildup in the deep vats inhibits yeast from producing fruity flavors, especially the banana-like isoamyl acetate. But Belgian microbiologists have genetically modified yeast to make more delectable beer, according to a new paper published in Applied and Environmental Microbiology, a journal. The scientists screened DNA of a strain of yeast particularly good at retaining its flavor, to find the genetic mutation of one gene that makes isoamyl acetate. They then used the revolutionary gene editing tool, CRISPR-Cas9, to insert this mutation into another commercial yeast to make a superior strain, producing more banana flavor. Leave it to the Belgians to go an extra mile for a better pint. Kate Blanchett's riveting performance in Tar. Kate Blanchett shines bright as Lydia Tar, the magnetic leader of a classical orchestra in Todd Field's film released this week. Ms. Tar's ascent as the first female conductor of a prominent German orchestra sets the stage for a dramatic tumble as she is consumed by behind the curtain politics. Tar dwells on the conductor's habit of self sabotage. 
humiliating a black student at the Juilliard School Performing Arts Academy in New York, lusting after a young cellist in her orchestra, and alienating her devoted wife and her assistant. The film portrays a classical music milieu with refreshing detail, even if the story of powerful figures whose abuses catch up with them has become newspaper staple. Yet for all the echoes of celebrity falls from grace, the film is at heart a familiar tale of hubris, portrayed with Miss Blanchett's flair for grandeur. Weekend Profile Ron DeSantis, the man whom even hurricanes cannot batter. As an undergraduate at Yale, Ron DeSantis captained the baseball team. Now, Florida's Republican governor has his mind on home runs of the political sort. Hurricane Ian, which hit his state on September 28th, has left more than 115 Floridians dead and caused up to $57 billion in insured losses. That may make it the second costliest hurricane to strike America after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. But for Mr. DeSantis, the storm's wreckage has brought political opportunity and a chance to demonstrate managerial know-how. On Wednesday, he appeared alongside Joe Biden, whom he often criticizes, as the president surveyed the damage. This time it was all comedy. Mr. DeSantis thanked him for providing federal aid. Mr. Biden said that they had worked hand in glove. Disaster management has revealed a fresh side to the governor. Until recently, he seemed more interested in lobbing bombs in America's culture wars. In April, after Disney criticized a state ban on the discussion of sexuality and gender orientation among young children in public school classrooms, Mr. DeSantis hit back. He hastily signed a law revoking Disney's special district status, which for decades had allowed the media giant to operate much like a county government at its complex in central Florida. Hammering Democrats for their perceived weakness on border security is another preoccupation. In September, Mr. DeSantis chartered private planes with state funds to send Venezuelan migrants in San Antonio, Texas, to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, an enclave for the wealthy liberals Mr. DeSantis loves to taunt. Those stunts, along with his aversion to lockdowns during the pandemic, have endeared the governor to conservatives. Mr. DeSantis is now viewed as a potential rival to Donald Trump, a fellow Florida resident for the Republican nomination for the presidential election in 2024. He has fashioned himself in a similar vein, emphasizing issues such as election integrity and border security, but carries none of the former president's baggage. Ironically, it was Mr. Trump's surprise endorsement that helped Mr. DeSantis take the governor's mansion in 2018. That race was close enough to prompt a recount. In November, he is expected to breeze to re-election. He commands an 11-point lead over his opponent, Charlie Crist. Now Mr. DeSantis is focused on raising his national profile. Hurricane Ian has let him do just that. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Yumi Arima, Tokyo, Japan. North America, Katie King, Vancouver, Canada. Central and South America, Alvaro Thomas, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Roar Medici, Kog, Denmark. Africa, 
Whale Abdel Wahab, Cairo, Egypt. Oceania, Jennifer Bladen Clark, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Lightning Rod, The Marriage of Figaro, Mamma Mia, Galileo, and Beelzebub. The theme is that these terms all appear in the lyrics of Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen song. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Willie Brandt, who died on October 8, 1992. Those who adhere to the past won't be able to cope with the future. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.